You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. That you've never seen before in your 17 years. How do you guys continue to have success knowing that you're going to get everybody's best shot basically weekly? Well, it feels like that's, that's the way things go in general with us. We travel so well, uh, and we've had, obviously, we have uh, the prestige of the organization that we play for. And I don't mean age could probably uh, vouch for me on this one, but I've always felt like we always get everybody's best shot. You know, there's not a lot of laydown games where teams just don't show up and play. You know, because you're either playing at Lambeau Field, which is iconic, or you're hosting the f- Green Bay Packers. Like, that's a that's a big deal. Hey, there was a oh. Go Pack Go chant, it sounded like, and they're pretty oh, yeah. loud on TV. Well, we, that's what we do. We travel so well. You know, we really do. we got an incredible fan base. It's all over the place. There's Packer bars all over the country and the world. I've been to one in Paris. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So, sorry, I just remember I needed to uh, stop and go edit Aaron Rodgers' swear out real quick before before I forget. But I, I wanted to play that. Um, I thought about it a couple days ago, and then um, Mr. Negative, as he's so-called, although he hasn't been as negative recently, but uh, he still talks to me pretty regularly. He sent me that clip. Um and it reminded me that I wanted to put that on the podcast um, for one initial reason. And then I thought of a second reason as I was listening to it um, live. Come to think of it, let's call it three things. And I, I do need to go back and listen to that because that guy is, sounds like he's having a good time. I have not listened to that interview yet, but I did see that snippet. And I also saw everybody lose their mind because he has a shirt that says cancel culture with a line through it. And apparently there's people that like cancel culture because they got upset at the idea that we should cancel cancel culture. I don't know. It's a weird thing to be, like, in favor of. But anyways, I suppose there are literal cannibals in the world. So, you know, there's people that like everything that exists. I'm convinced of that. Um, Point number one, this guy enjoys being a Green Bay Packer. Don't need a lot of elaboration on that. Kind of hammered home that point that um, I just don't really see him leaving. I don't see the Packers letting him go, and I don't see him leaving. Um, neither of those make the most sense. I mean, it's all all the options are on the table, right? Rodgers wants to stay. Rodgers wants to go. The Packers want him to stay. The Packers want him to go. Those are four separate things that have to interact with each other, and then, you know, whatever. You kind of get have to have two yeses or it's a no, but I think yes on both makes the most sense. But but as a, once again, you got a guy that's – he loves being a Packer. He loves the Green Bay Packers fans. He's bragging about the fans. He is in love with the organization, with with the history of the organization. He takes pride in being a Green Bay Packer and being a part of the organization. I just feel like all of that trumps the fact that he does not like one guy in the organization. You know what I mean? And maybe it's two or three. I don't know. But even if I didn't think things were better, which it seems as though they are as far as Brian Gutekunst sort of being more open to either communicate and or just flat out listen to what Rodgers has to say and bring in guys like Randall Cobb, which I just got a really weird flashback to what it was like to realize Randall Cobb is actually coming to the Green Bay. That was such a cool thing, especially because there were so many rumors of all... It was it was in deep, like, rumor territory where every you keep getting these rumors, but then I had a guy message me and he had an inside source that um, he was actually tracking Rodgers' plane, and that was when nobody was tracking his plane anymore. Um, because it was like unlisted, but uh, I knew a guy that knew a guy that knew a guy. Probably not even supposed to talk about it, but <laughs> anyways, little birdie told me that they were stopping in Houston, and it was just it was just such a crazy thing because it's like, dude, they're not gonna pick up Randall Cobb, right? And they did. Also, and I can tell I'm like in a super ranty mood right now because I'm just going down a million rabbit holes. Everybody acknowledges Aaron Rodgers is a pretty smart guy. Some people maybe exaggerate that, but let's take it to the far extreme and assume that this guy is just some massive super genius. What if this whole thing... Oh, dude, I am... We should just do a conspiracy theory show because that's where my brain's at right now. All right, so check this out. Bear with me now. All the pieces are connecting, man. And I can't tell if it's because this is real 
slash just kind of a fun thought in which all the things are connecting, or if maybe that instant coffee I drank had some illicit substances in it, and um, the universe is coming together because I'm stoned. I don't know. Maybe it was the ham sandwich. I should have checked the expiration date on the ham. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that out later. When I play this back tomorrow, I'll, I'll figure out if this any of this makes any sense. So <laughs> somebody on Twitter had asked the question. I don't remember who it was, but they had said something to the effect of, if the Packers do win the Super Bowl, who is the one person that you think should get a, I don't know, posthumous isn't the right word, but a Super Bowl ring despite not being on the team, somebody that was not with the team last time. In other words, they were in that span between the two Super Bowls and is not currently on the team. For me, the no-brainer answer was Randall Cobb, except Randall Cobb came back. Randall Cobb is the easy answer. I mean, there's some, you know, Mike Daniels is a good answer. Julius Peppers feels like the right, that was ultimately my answer when I, I didn't write that, but I was thinking about it. But it's like, he also was only a Packer for a little while. He's a I mean, if if you're going to put him on a team, he's a Panther, right? And he spent a little time with the Bears, a little time with us, and we kind of resurrected his career and everything was great and everything. But the, the, the easiest answer in the world would be Randall Cobb, who's the one guy that deserves it, that, that deserves the right to be on this team when the Packers win the Super Bowl. It's Randall Cobb. Okay. What if Aaron Rodgers didn't want to go anywhere? What if this whole thing was about getting the ability to get into the ear of Brian Gutekunst. In other words, I need more sway around here or I'm leaving because you don't listen, blah, 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 blah. And ultimately, when did he decide to come back? Shortly after Brian Gutekunst got on the phone and made a deal with the Texans to bring Randall Cobb back and suddenly he's like, all right, sounds good, I'm coming back. And he literally flew out to Houston He stopped somewhere, I think, in Arizona to drop off Shailene for a movie shoot, went from there over to Houston, signed or had Randall or whatever jump on his plane, and then boom, back to Green Bay. Actually, I don't know if he ever ended up going to Houston, but point is, that's what my brain remembers. And we're well into the realm of just making stuff up right now because that's what we're doing anyway. So let's just say that's what happened. Actually, I think that was the plan, but then it doesn't matter. Point is, this has all been about... Aaron Rodgers recognizing they are inches away from a Super Bowl. Fractions of away. Fractions of away? Nope. Dude, that ham was bad. Powering through. All right. He knew we were going to win a Super Bowl this year, and he wasn't going to do it without Randall Cobb here. Because Randall Cobb basically is what Donald Driver was on that last team that won the Super Bowl. He might not be the most dynamic player in the world, but that man deserves a Super Bowl ring. And so we went, and we got Randall because it's one of his best friends, and he deserves it. He deserves a Super Bowl ring. Now, if you wanted to get super crazy, you could say he threw that last game, but that's that's getting a little into stupid territory. Well, we're already... I'm not going there. You take it there. But, uh, yeah, anyways, the whole thing was about... You know, it started to sound less interesting as I told the story. (laughs) It's like waking up from a dream and being like, oh... This is like a good movie idea. I got to write this down. And then as you write it, it's like, eh, I don't know if I'd watch this. It's not the worst conspiracy theory I've ever had. It's also possible I already had that theory in the past, but but it's out there now. And, uh, and it is what it is. So number one on that clip, which uh, was kind of an impromptu thing, I think we heard, again, a guy that appreciates being a Green Bay Packer. Not only is he having fun, not only is he excited and happy to be there, We've seen demonstrations and and things in that direction. But again, you know, he, he kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. I mentioned it before when he was, you know, in the offseason kind of doing all the thank yous and everything. He would not talk about Brian Gutekunst in a positive way, right? He talked about pretty much everything but Brian Gutekunst. He's not just going to lie about stuff. When he goes on a tirade about how great the fans are, how historic the franchise is, He's, he just he doesn't have the ability to lie about stuff like that. He just doesn't. He really is just too authentic. Well, you lied about his status. Okay. If you're still screaming about that, you got to get a life, man. Anyways, point number two. Did you guys notice how he said we when he was referring to the fans and how well the fans travel? Now, as a fan, am I not supposed to say, it's not we, you're not a fan, you're a player. Isn't that what some fans are supposed to be saying to him? Isn't that what... The reason I ask 
aside from the fact where it's just kind of cool that he identifies himself as, I mean, he, he literally called us all one big group, right? So for all the people that scream about any fan that says we, when referring to the team, which I do that, we got a touchdown, we beat the Ravens. No, I don't think I actually play for the team. But Aaron Rodgers just called it all one big group. He said we when referring to how well the fans travel because it's one big group. So guess what? I'm going to say we because Rodgers said I could. If he's a traveling fan, then I'm a quarterback. Them's the rules. Point number three. I actually really think that is a great point in terms of what I'm always looking at, which is perspective. Talking about getting every team's best shot. You know, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of hung up on, not even because I'm annoyed by what some people think or say, but because I'm having a hard time kind of reconciling a little bit how all this works. And what I mean is, you know, for, for a team like Baltimore that's kind of struggling and had a bunch of players out, including their quarterback, why is it? Why is it the Packers struggled as much as they did? Why is it it didn't look like a team that was just dysfunctional and garbage? Why did it not seem like they were facing some high school garbage team? And I think it's fair to say what the 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 thing that I've always come to, which is it's football, it's NFL football, and to assume that anybody's going to show up and just be like garbage is nonsense. These are still NFL football players. You take the worst NFL team and put them in college and they would be undefeated and just dominate everybody and it would not even be close. And yes, I mean the Texans and the Lions and the Jets. Remember, that garbage quarterback that plays for the Jets was one of the best in college football. So yes, I mean the Jets too, as was Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and all these guys that can't figure out how to throw a football in the pros. Trey Lance can't even get on the field. But I think in addition to that, it's also fair. You know, we talk about trap games, right? What's a trap game? A trap game is when a team that is significantly better than their opponent maybe kind of takes their foot off the gas because they don't think they need to kind of go all in. They don't really need to put in all that effort. Or maybe it's just a matter of they're a little too ambitious, and they're ambitious in terms of peaking into next week, right? So you got the Lions this week, and then you got Tampa next week. And so while you're supposed to be putting all this energy into the Lions, you're maybe kind of just pulling up a little bit of Tampa Bay tape. Why can't, we, why can't it also be true that there's sort of the opposite of a trap game, which is the exact opposite, when a team that is not very good or not as good goes up against a team that is very good and has absolutely nothing to lose and is doubted by everybody, you're not coming into this game thinking, man, we better win. Or It's just, I'm going to lay it all on the line because who cares? I'm just going full throttle, man. I mean, in a sense, it's kind of like garbage time football for four quarters. Because why not, right? You're not playing reserved. You're not playing necessarily even analytical or even smart football. It's There's two minutes left in the game and we're down 14 time because it means nothing if we lose and it means everything if we win. And I'm just going to start swinging. And so I do think you get situations where, for example, the Lions beating the Cardinals. Then a little bit of that is the Lions kind of finding life and the Cardinals kind of really struggling right now. But I, I think that is an, sort of an analytic that does not get accounted for. right? So for example, when you look at... Um, football outsiders and their DVOA stuff, they're looking at the Lions saying, this is what the Lions are in a static sense. And then they look at how each team competed against the Lions and kind of goes based on that. But but again, the, the, the fault in that is assuming the Lions are static. It's judging not just how well you've done, but how well you've done against that particular comp, uh, that competition. Right? If, if you bludgeon the Lions and somebody else barely beats Tampa, that might be somewhat equivalent based on how hard it is to do that against the opponent you happen to be going up against. But what if it's not static? What if the Lions aren't just the Lions? What if the Lions didn't put as much effort into the Jets as they did against the Packers? Or Baltimore for that. Baltimore might even be a better example because maybe Baltimore, with Lamar Jackson or whatever, goes up against a team like the Jets and doesn't put their all into it. They're not playing, you know, just... just smash mouth, balls to the wall, pedal to the metal football because they don't have to because it's the Jets. But you give them a bunch of injuries and you've got the Green Bay Packers, the best team in football, when your season is on the line coming into your house in which you never lose, by the way. I think they were like 5-1. and one. You dominate at home. And you got this team and everybody's counting you out in your own house and they're coming in here on your territory. You know what I mean? There's a different energy in that then we're traveling out to face the Jets. And so again, you know, and, and 
It's 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 somewhat unnecessary to talk about because it's it's unmeasurable. It's kind of like if if you had an algebraic equation, but what you have is x plus y equals, and then it gives you is seven. And what we're trying to figure out is what's y. I don't know. Well, the problem is again with the DVOI. If if x is us, the Packers, and y is your opponent, we assume that y is whatever they are. All the other tests. So if y is the Lions. Right, so let's say we're a 30 and the Lions are a 4, we should have a 26, but we only end up with a 5. So maybe we're not a 30 because they're only a 4. I'm forgetting all my numbers, but if they're only a 4 and we end up with, you know, 7, then I get maybe we're only an 11. Maybe we're just a fraud. Maybe we're, dude, maybe they put out instead of a 4, maybe they showed up and put out a 26 or whatever the numbers are. You know what I mean? And that's how you get to 4. The point is, we don't know because we don't even know what X is either. It's the final output is a product of what we put out and what they put out. And we always look at the final product and we just assume one of them is static. And for Packer fans, a lot of time, we assume what Y is. Well, we know the Baltimore Ravens are garbage. And we only won by one, therefore we're garbage. Dude, we don't know what X or Y is. I don't know what the Packers' output was. And I don't know what the, because, because they conflict with each other. Well, our defense looked bad. Well, every defense looks bad against a very good offense. Was their offense playing really, really, really good? Or was our defense playing really, really bad? Was it a mix? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, some of it you can gauge, right? Aaron Rodgers, for example, if his passes are off compared to when his passes are on, that can be a little bit of a gauge in terms of how well you're playing. You know, penalties, things like that. Otherwise, it's really hard to gauge. I can't think of anything else that, you know, if Devontae's not getting open, is he struggling or is the guy across from him just killing it? Maybe somebody can gauge that. I can't. Well, our guys can't run block. Is it is it our guys or is it their guy? Because run blocking is when you push that guy out of the way. Then his job is to not be pushed out of the way and only one person's going to win that battle. If their guy wins, is it because our guy's good or his guy's bad? I don't know. But the point is, if if there is a, a factor in which playing the Packers gives an automatic boost to why... That puts us at an automatic disadvantage. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is a win is a win. And you got to be grateful for a win. That doesn't mean satisfied. That doesn't mean you can't pick out certain things and say, that needs to be better, right? I can see a guy muff a punt and say, nope, that's not great. I can see our special teams unit allowing everybody to, you know, run the ball back 30 yards. And maybe it's just because that guy's super, super good. But when it happens time after time after time, week after week after week against different opponents, you kind of start to deduce that, you know what, maybe it's our special teams that suck. I get all that. But the point is, we try to make too definitive of judgments based on assumptions that we don't know to be true. I don't know how good that Ravens team was that showed up there. I don't know what the Arizona Cardinals, or the LA Rams, or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know how much better or worse they would have done if they were in our situation going up against that team, putting out that exact same amount of output. Would they have annihilated them by by 20? Or would they have lost? You think the Cardinals would have won? I don't know. Maybe we would have lost to Detroit. I don't know. But it is an interesting thing that, you know, he when, when Rodgers mentioned that, it kind of got the gears turning a little bit. It is somewhat of an unfair disadvantage to be a team that gets everyone's best shot. And I do think there's some truth to that. With the exception of the Bears, there is some truth to that. The Bears, they don't show up at all against the Packers. But everybody else, especially in the division, the Lions and Vikings, I feel like their best games of the season are against the Packers. And I don't think it's because the Packers don't show up. Maybe it is. Again, there's two variables. I couldn't tell you which one's which. But I can tell you right now, at the very least, Kirk Cousins is a monster against the Packers. And Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson are monsters against the Packers. Anyways, food for thought. With that said, I do want to pick up where we left off. I I mentioned that I had some more information, but I wanted to wait for tomorrow, which would be today. Um, Maybe not all that interesting for those of you that read this on Twitter, but I would like to relay it to those of you that did not. Um, Only got 13 likes, so I'm assuming most of you did not see it. But I decided to take the time out and look at, as I mentioned, I wanted to look at how guys rank, you know, for example, Devondre uh, Campbell is the number two linebacker in football right now. However, some of these guys are doing better and some of them are doing worse based on since the midway point. And it kind of just creates a completely different picture because we get these ideas of who guys are locked into our brain 
And I think for the most part, most of these guys, we build our identity of them based on what they did early in the season. For some guys anyways. Um, well, I won't give an example because we're going to go through this anyways, but this is since the midway point. I think I did it since week seven. Again, I want to provide a little bit more context to this. I don't know if I'm going to do that today because there's a lot of other things I want to get to. Well, maybe not. I don't know what we're going to get to today. But anyways, since week seven, this is where our players rank. Some of it's going to make sense. Some of it's going to be shocking. I'll try to provide context when I can. Maybe that's what I'll just do it now because some of this is going to freak people out. And I don't want them to turn this off and say this is the worst show in the world without at least a little context. Aaron Rodgers, our quarterback, since week seven, ranks fourth out of 40 quarterbacks. I mentioned he is climbing the ranks. Uh, If you zoom in even a little bit more, he gets to second. He cannot get past Joe Burrow, though. Joe Burrow is absolutely killing it right now. That isn't, I mean, I don't know what they're talking about on ESPN. Maybe if you guys watch that stuff, somebody's talking about it, but I haven't heard anything about it. It is an unsung storyline, especially for a young, talented, early round quarterback that um, nobody's really talking about. It's like, this guy might be like, I mean, super legit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I don't want to say like one of the one of the greats kind of thing or whatever, but um, it's worth keeping an eye on. Uh, Devontae right now ranks fifth, which obviously is not as good as many people would expect, but still number five overall. MVS is actually 38th, which for MVS is extremely high. You don't usually see him there. Alan Lazard ranks 90th out of 107, so he's actually near the bottom. Um, now, I believe if I'm... Ah, shoot. No, this is this is overall grade. I was going to say, I think this is... I tried to do overall grades offensively. So if you just look at receiving grades, I believe that drops quite a bit. Um, out of tight ends, Josiah DeGuara ranks 29th out of 45, so little worse than the halfway point. Uh, Mercedes Lewis is sixth out of 45, which is really just a remarkably ridiculous place for that guy to be. I mean, I I don't mean to be mean or anything, but he has no business being sixth. You know, in a league that has guys like George Kittle and Andrews and all these guys, it's just crazy. And, And it's his receiving grade mostly that gets him where he is. That's the craziest part. One of the best things on here is that A.J. Dillon is the number one running back since week seven. I mean, he has really just been remarkable. Even last week, he didn't have the highest grade in the world, but he's still maintaining that number one spot. That's out of 56 running backs. You know, it's funny, too, because he's one of the guys that everybody hated. Um, Not just Packer fans who were kind of disgruntled about it, but, you know, historically, PFF, they were laughing and mocking about the pick and how the guy wasn't, like, he wasn't even like a fourth-round pick. Uh, One of the guys was laughing because he said, congratulations, they were the first person to First team to pick somebody who wasn't even on my board. I think, I don't know if he had like a top 100 board or whatever. He's like, he's not even on the sheet. And again, not to get off on my rabbit trails here, but the problem is too many people, fans, look at that and say, we made a bad pick. Why? Because the guy on TV, who's a draft guy, didn't even have A.J. Dillon in his top 100. And they're laughing at Brian Gutekunst about how stupid he is. I think what should have happened... If people were genuinely humble and a little bit slightly more intelligent about this, and again, it's entirely possible that Dylan could have been a bust pick, a terrible pick, but I think this is the more proper thought process. If 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 the if Brian Gutekunst and their staff pick AJ Dylan in the second round, and some guy on TV says, "Huh, I didn't even have him in my top," you know, whatever, one hundred doesn't even make sense because that's like through the third round. I didn't even have him in my top two fifty. My first thought is probably going to be, "Wow." That's not a great look for you, Mr. Television Man. And if I'm the guy on TV, I'm thinking, man, is this guy going to make me look stupid already? We're in the second round. I don't even have this guy in my top 250. Is he really that good? Because again, I'm just, and, and granted, he puts, a, I know they put a lot of work into this stuff, but there needs to be some element of being humble and, and recognizing that you are not on the level of Brian Gutekunst. And it's not just because of Brian Gutekunst. It, it could be any team, but you're just not on their level. You remember Mike Mayock was like the guy in the television draft community. I mean, as far as, you know, you take any of these guys from the draft network or any other place and you put them, you stack them up next to Mike Mayock, Mike Mayock blows everybody out of the water. Mike Mayock, when he puts out a mock draft, everybody alters their mock drafts to make it look like Mike Mayock. Mike Mayock was, I think, the first guy that had Jair Alexander in the first round. And that's when everybody jumped on it. And suddenly everybody said Jair was a first round guy. Point is, Mike Mayock went to the Raiders and Mike Mayock is a joke. He was being mocked in that in that meeting room because his scouts were looking at him like, dude, this guy's an idiot. 
because those guys are on a completely different level than the than the television guys, even the best of the best. So if you work for PFF or the Draft Network or whatever, and I know they put in a lot of work, or I shouldn't say I know, I know some people put in a lot of work, don't really know who, but if I put in an entire offseason and I saw A.J. Dillon and I said, this guy's trash, he's never going to be anything, and especially a team with a great track record of drafting, Brian Gutekunst and his staff decide above all, and I'm looking at a list of, of guys that would be a great fit for the Packers and guys that I really like, and there's probably guys with you know, borderline first-round grades still available, and they take a guy that's not in my top 250, my stomach is going to hit the floor. I, I am so far from laughing at Brian Gutekunst from being, and maybe I would, I don't know, because there's so much groupthink and everything else, and there are a lot of bad picks in the draft, so maybe there would be an element of that. But I think the right response would be, oh, crap, am I that stupid? Do I suck that bad? The answer is yes, you do, because A.J. Dillon is the number one running back in football right now. Unfortunately, Aaron Jones is not. He ranks 28th out of 56. This is about the lowest I've ever seen A.J. Dillon. Um, I think he had a good game this past week, but it's it's really not been... He hasn't been around very much. He's had some injury issues. I'm hoping when he gets back into the swing of things, we start to see more of him kind of thriving. And, and again, I do think the the injuries up front along the offensive line and the lack of blocking suits A.J. Dillon a little bit more than it does Aaron Jones, which is why it's so great to have that one-two punch because... They're kind of like a hedge, you know what I mean? When one's not working, it's almost automatic that the other one is. I mean, you got Aaron Jones, and if you can play Aaron Jones and he can dominate, then that's great. If you can't, there's a very good chance that this is an A.J. Dillon game. That's just the reality. And because we don't have a very good offensive line as far as run blocking goes, we've had a lot of A.J. Dillon games. Um, At the tackle position, from worst to best, uh, Billy Turner ranks 54th out of 81, Yash Nyman 45th out of 81, and Mr. Elton Jenkins 12th out of 81. Our center slash scarred slash tackle is the 12th best tackle in football. The guy who was a college center came here and dominated as a guard. Um, is a borderline top 10 tackle in the NFL. At the guard position, John Runyon 53rd out of 78, obviously not very good. Royce Newman 41st out of 78, which... Um, again, context, and I'm not going to go super in depth, but we kind of talked about Royce yesterday and, um, how good he's been kind of in an intermittent fashion, but very, very good. But you got to understand that's, that's like the last, I don't know how many weeks, but if you kind of cherry pick his weeks a little bit more, he's going to go up a little bit higher. And if you go back to week one, he's kind of terrible. Right, because he started off. I mean, he literally was the fact that he's forty-first and even ahead of John Runyon is actually remarkable, considering Royce Newman was the worst guard in football for quite a while. So again, this is where additional context is kind of helpful. This is kind of a bigger picture. So I can give you the overall rank, the rank since the midseason, but there's also a shred of of uh, nuanced context that's helpful for each of these guys. And in Royce's case, this is. 41st is impressive. He went from like dead last up to 41st. He's improving. At center, uh, Lucas Patrick actually ranks 36th out of 39 centers, so that's not great, but um, it's kind of a shrug your shoulders thing. Yeah, I know we could do better. Um, He's not my favorite in the world, but he's also not terrible, and he's not getting Aaron Rodgers killed, so I guess I just really don't care. On the defensive side of things, this is where things get a little bit ugly, and it's kind of concerning because we've seen the defense start to fail and flail and become problematic not at every position but you start you can clearly see the numbers are scary and right off the bat you get that especially with the defensive line um, not only because of how poorly they rank but how they rank so going from best to worst our best defensive lineman which by itself isn't the worst news (laughs) until you kind of you know think about it Kingsley Kiki ranks 27th out of 135 defensive tackles. That's not the worst news in the world. TJ Slayton is second, 37th out of 135. Dean Lowry is 55th out of 135. And Kenny Clark, who started off the season white hot, was one of the best defensive tackles in football since week seven, 62nd out of 135. Now, his last couple games have been great, and I'm hoping that he can kind of come back and continue to do his thing. Um... But it's, it's, it's been a struggle. And I know immediately a lot of people like to play defense of all their players and everything else, and so they're jumping up with all the excuses. Well, it's because of the way they play them. It's because of the double teams. Listen, you got to understand, I just said in the beginning of the season, the guy was dominant. Second half of the season, he's mediocre. 
So it's not a matter of, well, you know, he gets a separate standard. No, no, no. He, he's, he's capable of grading out very, very well, and he just hasn't been. We don't have to jump to excuses every single time. There's an issue, and I'm hoping it gets rectified. Pass rushers, Jonathan Garvin, 94th out of 118. Rashawn Gary, 21st out of 118. Preston, 10th out of 118. So Rashawn is about, I mean, that's not a bad rank, 21st. I mean, that's about where he's been. He always does really, really, uh, ranks really, really highly in terms of statistic. His pressures are very, very high. He's never really graded out incredibly well. So, So being 21st out of 118, another guy, by the way, that very few people liked, and in, in the full context of everything, when you factor in how many first-round pass rushers there have been and how many guys that have come in and done all these things, being 21st overall is pretty impressive. Uh, Rashad, uh, Preston Smith being 10th, though, that is something I never expected to happen. That guy is just absolutely lighting it up. And again, I think if you play with his weeks and Rashawn's weeks, you can probably get these up or down or whatever. But Preston has been basically unstoppable for, if it's not seven weeks, it's in that range. Four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. I don't know what it's been. He has not had a bad game in a while. And I probably shouldn't say that out loud because I'm going to jinx it, but it is what it is. Uh, linebacker, a little bit depressing. Chris Barnes, 36 out of 91. Uh, Devondre Campbell, who for the season ranks second, is 18th, which is to say the second half of the season has not been very good. However, Kind of similar to Kenny Clark, he really just had a bad patch. So he started off dominant. He had kind of a prolonged bad patch. And then the last, I think, two weeks or so have actually been pretty solid. So it's I'm hoping that we're just kind of coming out of this bad patch, whether it was just a, a slump or the opponents or the scheme or injury. I don't know. But falling from second to 18th overall is not great news. But it's really just a question of what do we think he's going to be next week? And if he just kind of had a slump and is not in that slump anymore, hopefully we're going to get more of this second-best linebacker in football, Campbell, and Kenny Clark, for that matter, as opposed to the slumpy version, because that's not going to help us very much. But again, you do have to account for bad defense over the last three to four weeks. It's not that hard to reconcile. Their grades are slipping, and our defense is slipping. It seems to coincide. At the cornerback position, um, the only really unfortunate grade here is Chandon. Um, I have noticed him kind of slipping a little bit, but at the same time, statistically speaking, aside from a couple bad games and a couple bad plays, he's he's pretty quiet, and that's what I like from corners, man. I just I just want to forget you're even on the team, and Chandon is right there. I just completely forget he's on the team sometimes, and he's out there every snap covering somebody. So it's I I, I still like Chandon. However. Grade-wise, PFF is watching him saying this guy is, is getting just destroyed. And it might just be, you know, again, I'll, I'll, I'll look more at the context and everything. But 101st out of 125. So they legitimately have him one of the worst since week seven. However, after that, you jump all the way up. And you got to remember, I was doing this back in 2018 and whatnot. And I, I had PFF subscriptions before they jumped their prices up to like $200 back when like you can get the full thing for like 30 bucks or whatever. So I've had PFF for a while, so I've observed these things. But um, I remember when we had like three corners and our best one was ranked like 101st. I remember those days where Chandon would be like our best corner. Um, Eric Stokes right now in the second half of the season ranks 40th out of 125, which again, if you use my criteria of top 32 makes you a number one corner, top 64 makes you a number two corner. That makes him a high-end number two. It's kind of what we're looking for in Stokes, isn't it? A young, ascending, high-end number two corner. I think that's right right where we need him. Uh, possibly more surprising, Kevin King, 27th out of 125 right now. Another guy that's just been real quiet. He doesn't come out much, but when he does, he apparently is just doing his job. Aw shucks. Number one, not surprisingly, although some people probably think he should be higher, but again... We'll, we'll tweak the weeks and we'll come up with a better number for him. But uh, Razul Douglas, 18th out of 125. Going back to week seven includes a lot of weeks, right? And he's been pretty dominant for like four. So there's probably three really bad weeks that are dropping him. But 18th is phenomenal. I mean, just think about how many elite corners there are in the NFL that are well-known, big-name, lockdown corners. And he's just floating around at 18th. Razul Douglas is a Green Bay Packers cornerback. N- nothing in this sentence makes any sense. Packers cornerback, Razul Douglas, 18th best. It's a fake sentence. Doesn't even make sense. 
Um, safeties are somewhat problematic. Our best safety is Adrian Amos at 33rd out of 92. Darno Savage, 56th out of 92. Obviously, this past week was horrific, so that doesn't help. But we still have not really had that, especially for Savage, that really big wake-up moment, right? Um, so I'm hoping he can kind of kind of get in the groove. I'm, I'm beginning to get slightly concerned. I, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but... You know, last year when we talked about him being one of the best, it was it was just in the second half when he supposedly kind of woke up. But even toward the end of the season, he was kind of bad. So it was really just a, a good patch of games, like, I don't know, five, six, seven games, with one of them being like one of the best in football. So it was like a 90, which obviously is going to inflate his grade. So it was the first half of the season was bad. He ended the season bad. And this whole entire year so far has been kind of not great. So, you know, I don't know. Hoping that gets better. But yeah, Amos 33rd, Savage 56th out of 92. Finally, on special teams, our highest graded special teams players, not talking kicker punter, um, Henry Black, 17th out of 588 special teamers. That's actually really solid and explains why he plays so much. Uh, Razul Douglas, 93rd out of 588. Dominique Daphne, 113th out of 588. And Burks, Oren Burks, 140th out of 588. So we've only got two in the top 100, which isn't great. (laughs) But hey, for Henry Black. Our worst special teams players, Tyler Davis, 528th out of 588. Malik Taylor, 536th. Uh, Josiah DeGuara, 552. And Steve Wartell, 586th out of 588. There are only two worst special teams players out of 588 special teams players. The long snapper that we decided to throw in last second is the third worst special teams player out of might as well be a thousand. <laughs> like nearly 600 players. It's remarkable. Looking at kicker punter, Mason Crosby, 28th out of 34. Corey Bohorquez, 25th out of 33. A lot of people real mad about Corey Bohorquez being 25th out of 33 as if, as if you guys have not watched like the last several weeks of football where every other punt is like a 40-yard shank. I mean, it's it's I'm, I'm literally sitting there watching him kick really short punts just thinking, great, now even we lost Corey. Even Corey's playing like garbage on special teams. So I am not surprised that he ranks 25th out of 33rd right here. Um, he has he has fallen into the same horrible chaos of that everybody else has. Um, man, oh man, oh man. All right, I guess we got to take a break and we got to do uh, a little bit of laughing at the enemy. The timing is is not fantastic, but I promise it. So we're gonna we're gonna give it a shot. We might just do Chicago today. I do have some other clips queued up for other teams. In fact, most of my clips are for other teams. But if we're if we're only gonna have time for one, which might be the case, it's got to be the Bears. Because otherwise, it's just the Bucks, Ravens, Cardinals, Titans, and Patriots. So I hate to have wasted all that time. We'll see how it goes. Um, today's COVID update, and I do record this on the 22nd. So it was the New York Jets' turn uh, this time around. I think they lost their head coach. In addition to the head coach getting, I shouldn't say lost. I mean, he has COVID. We'll see if he can come back or whatever. In addition to that, Tanzel Smart, Lamar Jackson, the corner, not the quarterback, Noah Dawkins, Blake Cashman, Jeff Smith, Elijah Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, and Michael Carter all added to the COVID list um, just this in, in this one day. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I would be stunned if there aren't more delays or pushbacks or kind of just reworking this thing. I, I do know, I mentioned, I think the last week is all Sunday. So that may work to the NFL's advantage as they start to look at just doing Sundays or or maybe a little Sunday, Monday, but mostly just Sundays because that allows you more flexibility to kind of sneak games around other times, days and times and whatnot. But uh, yeah, we'll see because it's getting getting crazy out there. Anyways, uh, Patreon, big giant shout out to Mr. Christopher Scharf. Thank you so much for jumping in on the Patreons. Uh, you are my first December patron, possibly my only for the month. I don't even know if there was anyone in November, to be honest. Uh, we had two people delete this month, and who knows what last month is. But it's been, well, it's it's been what it's been, man. This is just how things are going with uh, everything kind of being crazy. But I do appreciate that. I almost forgot. I was just going to say, hey, if you want to donate on Patreon, kind of go about it. I'm like, wait a minute. Didn't somebody somebody do something? It's been a while. But I do appreciate that. Thank you so much for jumping in and... Um, 
Anyways, if you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, folks, let's do, uh, uh, we'll do a, a, an abbreviated version of laughing at the enemy. We'll start and possibly finish with the Bears. We'll see how much time we have. Um, would like to get to bed at a reasonable hour, but why don't we start off with Foz Sports? I mean, we're part of the reason this is becoming tough is because so many fans are moving from anger and frustration to despair, especially when we talk about the uh, the Bears. So even if... It's still good content in terms of, you know, doing what we're here to do, which is laugh at the enemy. It's kind of just becoming cruel <laughs> to laugh. But um, here is Mr. Foz Sports kind of talking about how the Chicago Bears have broken him, which, again, is it's what we're after, but it's, it's, uh, it's kind of sad. Because, quite frankly, the Bears have broken me. Yeah. We've gotten to that point, and I'm sure they've broken a lot of you guys as well. And what I mean by that is how many times do we have to see this over and over and over again? I feel like everybody in the Bears fan base just wants the season to end at this point because we are just done with the torture that the season has brought. And today was no different, especially on primetime. Thankfully, this was the last primetime game for the Bears uh, they lost to Minnesota Vikings 17-9. Make no mistake about it. <clears throat> we got a garbage time touchdown at the end, so the Bears only scored three points pretty much in this game. I'm not even counting that last touchdown. So, again, this is just kind of where it's at. And we, we heard this even last week. It was the same kind of I-just-want-the-season-to-end sentiment. That's just where Bears fans are at right now. It's it's embarrassing. Um, and, again, the, the the sick part of me that enjoys all of this is really just because I want them to see that it's not just Matt Nagy. It's not true that if we just replace Matt Nagy, everything's going to get better because this team is broken. I'm not saying they can't be a better team next year, that it's imp- but they're going to have to essentially do the impossible slash what Brian Gutekunst did in a year, which is you're going to have to just gut the team, rebuild it, which is to say have a solid draft and bring in a bunch of really high-quality free agents and then also, uh, Justin Fields has to be Aaron Rodgers. So there's there's that <laughs> there's that aspect as well. I yeah I don't I don't know man. 
Anyways, here's our buddy Kaplan uh, and his thoughts on things. Obviously, this this whole uh, crew, and I I do like this crew. Uh, Olin Krutz. Oh no, not Olin Krutz. I, I, I don't know. I forget who these guys are. Getting their names mixed up. Dave Wanstead is. I like Dave Wanstead. I grew up in Illinois, and Dave Wanstead reminds me of every Chicago dad I ever met. My buddy John's dad. Just very like '80s, but with a thick Chicago accent. I like Dave Wanstead. Anyways, uh, here's what Kaplan had to say about uh, the Chicago Bears and just the state of things. Talent in the in this NFL. Okay, if you're George McCaskey and you are sitting in that skybox tonight and you see everything you saw, undisciplined play, lousy offense, turnovers, failure to execute in the red zone. Mm, mm, if mm. you've got any pride about the organization, this guy worked hard for you, Matt Nagy. Put him out of his misery and move on. It wow. has gotten to the point where we are a national embarrassment. G- gotten? You, tonight? No, no. Oh. We lose regionally every week. Oh. When you play on national TV. <laughs> every time we play. A national embarrassment. Every time we play on national TV, we get our butt whooped. By the way, if you guys are having trouble enjoying this segment, just remember... These are the people that told us that we were going to be third in the division this year. These are the people that said that the the North now runs through Soldier Field and that Justin Fields is going to be the number one uh, quarterback in the uh, in the NFC North. By the way, they also said that about Trubisky. These are, by the way, the exact same people that next year in July, August are going to be saying the same thing. Maybe we have Rodgers, maybe we don't. It won't make a difference. Justin Fields is going to make a leap. Their left tackle is going to take a leap. Mooney's a stud. Our running back is a stud. I'm sure they're going to talk about some other draft picks, probably an offensive lineman that they pick. Clip this, because everything I'm saying is real. They probably pick some offensive linemen. That's going to bolster their offensive line. Justin Fields is going to crush it. Dominant offensive line, dominant run game. Mooney, we picked up another wide receiver. We still got Khalil Mack. We picked up this guy and that guy, right? A new head coach probably going to bring with it a new defensive coordinator, and they're going to have every reason in the world, just like they did with Desai, just like they did with the last guy who was a blitzing guru or whatever nonsense. Every time they bring in a new defensive coordinator, this is the guy that's going to bring back that Fangio defense, blah, 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 blah. And this is how it ends every year. This is how it ends, with misery and despair. Anyways, why don't we just cut to the chase and get to what you all have been waiting for. Uh, we'll get to The Tape Never Lies and uh, Dr. Phil Tachian, however you say his name. We'll let him just kind of break it down. He's kind of been saying the same. I, I, I need to come over here sometime, maybe next year when the Bears aren't, you know, maybe if they win week one. I want to know what he sounds like when he's happy and, and things are going well. I'm just curious what that sounds like because the only way I know these guys, Shane and uh, Phil, are Shane is angry and just kind of looks like he wants to slip into a tub with a nice warm toaster. And Phil is just a uh, rage addict. And I, I love it, by the way. Anyways, here's uh, Dr. Phil from The Tape Never Lies. It is another showcase disgrace, really, on the national stage from officiating to being prepared to fundamentals to showing what Justin Fields can do when you allow him to do what he should be doing, as well as the person I've been saying, Jasper Horstead and Justin Fields have like a connect. Yeah, I think you've heard that from this network before. And it just continues to boggle the mind. Like you put Demir Bird out there, fourth down drops. It penalties terrible officiating terrible coaching terrible showcase of pride by the offensive line but one tevin jenkins your quarterback gets hit like that not once not twice three times and the one play where he gets his head taken off look at mustafer just standing there i don't want to get a penalty this is a disgrace of the proportions that I've never, ever witnessed. I'm so tired of being right about this. It just boggles the mind.
Just everybody write what I'm about to say so you can print it tomorrow. It's a f disgrace. Running the ball when you're first in goal after you've thrown the ball down the field. Even I wouldn't do that Fourth, third and one, you're getting in the f***ing shotgun again. You got two downs to get one yard, and you're in the f***ing shotgun. Next play, you're going outside on a f***ing a, a bootleg. Let's bootleg him to the short side on fourth down. Every situation, every time you're in the red zone, you're trying to do gimmicks. Gimmicks ain't but hoes and tricks. That's what it is. That's what it is. Get this guy fired tomorrow and move on from this just complete embarrassment. Fights on the field. Personal fouls. And it all comes in with a defense that came to play. So you have an opportunity to win. Now you could say they could have kicked all these field goals. They win the game there on that last. You can do anything you want, but you can't fucking score touchdowns with Cole Komet, Mr. Fucking Peter the Rabbit jumping in the air. Nobody fucking scheming. Never a drag or a shallow cross pick route. Nothing prepared. It's all guesswork. Then on this final drive, you dropped the ball again with not having David Montgomery out there. David gets a big call. Brian Greasy calls out the coach. There's so much to digest of stupidity in here. And I don't have notes because it, it would have been longer than Santa Claus list. With how many notes of stupidity. Your head coach finally shows some fire. Too little, too late. Too little, too late. That's what I wanted to see from you from day one. You have to be maniacal. You have to be in the official's ear. You're getting screwed over. Dion Bush starting to play like an NFL football player, gets that penalty, that's seven points in the game. It's 10-3 going down. The officials affect it. We talked about this. Tevin Jenkins, did you see fucking improvement? You little fucking blog boy trolls. Do you see why he's a fucking left tackle? Why I put my name to that That's the guy those are the building blocks montgomery jenkins daniels justin fields jasper horsted darnell moon there's plenty of fucking talent on this football team there's just a guy running a coal engine train trying to fucking find where he puts gas in it that's how lost this fucking guy is he has no clue none none whatsoever None.